Let's open our Bibles to the book of Zechariah, the 11th chapter. This chapter has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and then the elect being cared for and the rest are rejected because they reject Christ. And it is a prophecy of the first coming of Christ and uh, also of the results of the first coming of Christ is uh, after they rejected the Lord, well, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. So we might give you a division of, after this nature. The judgment of the land. The judgment of the land. And uh, that's 11 verses 1 through 6. And then the true shepherd set aside and rejected. That's verses 7 through 14. And then uh, the foolish shepherd is accepted in verses 15 through 17. The foolish shepherd. But the first part we'll have to do is the judgment of the land, and it's a prophecy of the destruction of the temple and the slaughter of God's people as a result of their rejection of Christ. And you'll find that it actually took place in the New Testament when Jesus, as Jesus predicted that it would. But we'll try to delve into it as we look at verse 1. It says, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars, Howl, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. Now then, when we compare some scriptures in the New Testament, if you look in Matthew 24, verse 1 and 2, Matthew 24, verse 1 and 2, Jesus went out of the temple, went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now here's what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so he's predicting a destruction of the temple that was then in Christ's day. And as a result of the Jews re- rejecting Christ, this destruction did come in 70 A.D. under Titus. And we find that what Zechariah says here just holds your place where we're studying in Zechariah because we'll come right back to it. Holds your place there. It says, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. The temple construction was out of cedars and all of these other fine uh, trees because you have the uh, uh, oaks that are mentioned, the fir tree that's mentioned, were the finished uh, product of the interior of the temple and much of the beautiful works of the temple. So when he says, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour thy cedars, he's speaking of the devastation uh, and the the destruction, I should say, of this temple. And uh, actually, the doors of the north of Palestine was a mountain pass, and this was the door through which the Roman army swooped down on Jerusalem after the rejection of Christ. The Roman armies came down, and as Jesus predicted, he says there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. If you read the history of the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem at that time, you'll find that much of what uh, Zechariah says here will apply to that great destruction that came. And it was a result of their rejection of Christ. It tells later on in this same chapter how that Christ was rejected when he first came. And we hope to get into that. And it speaks of here the slaughter of the flock. Notice, it says in verse 1, 
Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars, the temple construction, and how how fir tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled, the mighty of, of their leaders were spoiled. How, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. And he goes on to say in verse 3, There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled, a voice of the roaring of the young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Verse 4, Thus saith the Lord, my God, now Zechariah's pointing again, To God's word, he says, this is really surely going to come to pass because God has spoken it. Feed the flock of the slaughter. Now, who's the flock of the slaughter? That's the Jewish people in that day. Their leaders are spoken of as the shepherds. Refers to the Jewish leader. And the complete overthrow of the land and the people, the slaughter of the flock, because of this judgment that's going to come upon the land and upon the people. And in verse... uh, When it says in verse 3, the young lions, the roaring of the young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. This would be the young lions or the princes, the uh, younger leaders of the people. And it says in verse 5, whose possessors slay them and hold themselves not guilty. And they that sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. They didn't have shepherds that would pity them. They didn't have leaders that would pity them. They didn't have rulers. And we're going to find that God will not pity them and He'll suffer this judgment to come upon them because of their rejection of Christ. I want you to look again as we look at verse 5. For I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land. God says that Himself. I will no more pity them. Which He did not. Those shepherds and religious leaders had rejected Him. We know their rejection in Christ's day. The Pharisees, the scribes, the the high priest and all that followed him, they rejected Christ. In fact, John, in the first chapter of John, chapter 1, I believe it's verse uh, 11, or verse 10, 11, 12, it says, He came to His own, His own received Him not. It says He was in the world, the world was made by Him, the world knew Him not. He came to His own, His own received Him not. And then verse 12, He says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. So anyone that would receive Him and truly not reject Christ, as the others had done, would be saved. But anyway, I want you to notice, it says, "...whose possessors," verse 5, "...slay them and hold themselves not guilty. And they that sell them say, Blessed be the Lord." Look at the hypocritical leadership of the days of Jesus, and you'll see how it compares with what... Uh, Zechariah is saying, For I am rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. And then God says, For I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. But lo, I will deliver the men every one into his neighbor's hand, and into the hand of his king, and they shall smite the land, and out of their hand I will not deliver them. Now this is what we see happened as a result of the rejection of Christ. Is that the land... The temple, the slaughter of the flock, all came to pass. And we'll see. Look in uh, Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. Luke 19, verse 41 through 44. And Jesus came and beheld the city. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. He wept over it, saying... Now listen, this is what he said as he wept over Jerusalem. 
He says, if thou, if thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, for the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee. This is what happened in 70 A.D., the siege of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple that we've been talking about. Cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Because, now look, here's the reason. Look, the last part of verse 44. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They did not realize that Jesus had come and was in their midst and their rejection of Christ. And that's what brought about this great destruction that not only Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, we gave you a couple of verses, but Zechariah predicted this destruction as well. And we're going to see in Zechariah, hold your place in chapter 11, where it was because of their rejection of Christ that this all came to be. And let's progress on down. Uh, After we get to verse 6, we've already said the Lord would have no more pity upon them. First part of verse 6. But look at verse 7 now. Verse 7. And verses 7 through 14 show us the rejection of Christ by His own people and what will happen uh, to them. Now in verse 7 he says, And I will feed the flock of slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. And I took me two staves, the one is called beauty and the other I call bands, and I fed the flock. Now these two staves, beauty and bands. Beauty stands for graciousness. God's free favor to them. And band speaks of God's union with them, the brotherhood. And we're going to find how that this true shepherd is set aside and rejected. And these two staves, indicative of his covenant relationship, they're broken by the rejection of Christ. They break the covenant with the Lord. These are symbolical of the shepherd-pastor office of guidance and care over the flock. And we'll see as we progress along when they do break these on down, when he does break these two relationships, we might call them, how that they are broken down in verse 14 because of their rejection of Christ. So let's progress along along and leave that alone for the moment and we'll see when these two staves are broken. As we said, they're symbolical of the shepherd-pastor's office of guidance and of of, uh, care over his flock. And one, as we said, symbolizes God's graciousness and God's free favor toward them, and the other symbolizes union, band symbolical of union. So let's read on down and get to the meat of this lesson. So in verse 7, I will feed the flock of the slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. Now, their shepherds didn't feed them, did they? But he said, I will. And I took me two staves, the one I called beauty and the other I called bands, and I fed the flock. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Then said I, I will not feed you. That that dieth, let it die, and that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off, and let the rest eat every one of the flesh of another. And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder, that I might break my covenant. Now, this verse 10 is very important. That I might break my covenant, which I had with all the people. Now, what is God saying here? The covenant relationship between He and His own chosen people, He broke 
because they rejected Christ. And we're going to find out of that rejection in a little bit. Remember, there was a time that the Lord said in the Gospels, He says, I will take the kingdom of you and I'll give it to another. He said that He would no more bless them, but He would turn it over to another nation that would bring forth fruit thereof. And you remember during that dispensation of time that it was taken basically from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. And Paul became an apostle to the Gentiles. And you know, Paul himself said to when he preached, you know, the Gospel said to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles or the Greek. When Paul said he had preached to the Jews and they rejected his message, he says, seeing, listen, these are words of the Apostle Paul, seeing you count yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Paul says, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And since that day and hour, the Gospel dispensation has been put into the hands of the Gentiles. And that's where it is today. And with uh, some exceptions that uh, there are individual Jewish converts that believe on Christ as the Messiah. But most of them reject Christ as the Messiah. They're looking for a future coming of the Messiah, but they do not recognize this first coming. And we're going to see how he was rejected as we look along in these scriptures, which is very important. So he said that he might break this covenant, look in verse 10, and I took my staff, even beauty, one of these staves, and cut it asunder that I might break my covenant which I had made with all the people. Covenant of His grace and graciousness with them. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. There were the remnant or the very few that believed on Him in that day. And I said, now let's look at verse 12 and 13. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. Now look at this. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. See that? And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I, look at the word I, that I was prized at them, out of them. And I took the, I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Just ring a bell and sound familiar? When Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I want to give you some scriptures that will help us to understand. If you look in Matthew 27, verse 9. uh, Matthew 27, look at verse 9. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Now, we don't have the record of where Jeremiah spoke this. Yep, Matthew 27, verse 9. But we do have the very same words that were used by Zechariah. Now, whether it's sometime or another that Jeremiah quoted Zechariah or that Zechariah was quoting Jeremiah, we don't have the evidence of that. But we do have the scriptural uh, truth that this was spoken in prophecy. It says, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now, it's cited in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13 that we just read. And this was the price. Now, look. The price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. They valued the price of Christ at what? Thirty pieces of silver. Zechariah says it was the price of the rejected shepherd. The shepherd that was rejected in his prophecy. Christ was a rejected shepherd. He's a good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep, right? 
And he was a rejected shepherd. And the very scriptures that we're reading. Now then, what is this price actually, uh, what does it actually mean? I want to give you a couple of references and I'd like for you to look at them. First of all, it's not only the price of the rejected shepherd that we have here in Zechariah. But look in Exodus 21 verse 32. And you'll see that it's the price of a slave. A poor slave that was gored by an ox that was only worth 30 pieces of silver. I want you to look at this. Exodus 21. Let's pick it up with verse uh, 28. It says, If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall be stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quipped. And if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner that he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall also be put to death. Now, verse 30, If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom, for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. In other words, it could be negotiated. An ordinary person, a common uh, person that was not a slave, it could be negotiated as to what price would be paid for this one that was gored by the ox. Now, look, in verse 31, whether he have gored a son or a gored a daughter, according to this judgment, shall it be done to him. Now then, in verse 32, If the ox shall push a manservant, here is a slave, or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. See, there was no negotiation. This was the value of a poor, gored, bloody servant if he was gored by an ox. Jesus was sold for the price of a, of a gored slave, a servant. And he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. You come to the book of Hosea. We've given you this lesson before under other circumstances, but Hosea 3 verse 2. Hosea chapter 3 verse 2 is a good verse of Scripture. And here you have 15 pieces of silver in, in money and 15 in kind. And I've given you this so it equals to 30. It equals to 30. But in Hosea 3 verse 2, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and half homer of barley. And this is 15. And when you say homer is the tenth part of an ephah, we find that we explain to you how that it would be 15 in kind. One being 10, a homer would be 10. And then half homer would be other five, so that would be 15 in kind, and 15 in pieces of silver. And this was the price of what? An unclean, adulterous woman. And then you get over there in the book of Matthew, and you have the third reference, the one I just gave to you. So what are we really saying here? That Jesus was not only a rejected shepherd, but Jesus was an outcast in the sight of men, like this woman was an outcast. And he was also a slave or a servant in the sight of men. So he fits all three of these categories. We see in John chapter 13 where the Bible tells us that he, at the supper that he took upon him, he girded himself with a towel, that's the attire of a servant, and began to wash the disciples' feet. In Philippians chapter 2 it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery 
to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now listen carefully. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So you see, Philippians tells us uh, that he was a servant. Then the next verse says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, not just a servant, but to the glory of God the Father. So, we have scriptures that show him not only as a servant and a rejected shepherd. The context of Matthew 27 shows that he's the one that was their shepherd and came to them, and they rejected him. John chapter 10 tells us, he says, I'm the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep in the tents of John. But he says, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. Matthew 20, I mean Luke 22 verse 27. I want you to see this one. Luke 22 verse 27. And you'll see his, the fact that he's a servant again. Notice, Jesus says, well, verse 26, they're arguing about who would be the greatest. The disciples are. But let's read verse 26 and 27. It says, But ye shall not be so, but he that is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Well, that's a logical question, isn't it? We know that the one that sit, sits at the meat, or head of the table, he's greater than the one that serves. Is not he that sitteth at meat? Sure, this fellow that sits at the table and waits for their servant to wait on him. Sure, he's considered greater in the eyes of men. But Jesus says, but I am among you, what? As he that serveth. He says, I'm among you as he that serveth. I'm the slave. I'm the servant. Do you see in all of these three references and, and others that we can expound that will show you that Jesus was all of these and that was the price that he was prized at of the children of Israel. The price of a servant. The price of an outcast. The same as the outcast woman. The price of a rejected shepherd, as Zechariah puts it. So Jesus fulfilled all of these things. And that was the price. Look in Matthew 27 again. I want you to notice how this is worded. In verse 9, the middle part of the verse, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. Whom they bought of the children of Israel. Whom they valued. And even though it was Judas that betrayed them, they suffered it to be so by their rejection. And, you know, the Bible says, again we'll quote, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And so we find that this was the price of Him. Worth no more to them in general, we're not talking about the few that believed on Christ because there was a remnant and a few among them that did believe on Christ. If you remember, those of his disciples that followed him, the apostles, and so on. But as a whole, Jesus was rejected. But that's how much he was worth to them. The price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. Thirty pieces of silver. The price of a gourd, bloody, Servant, slave, the price of an outcast woman in Hosea, the price of a rejected shepherd in John chapter 10. It says, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He says, the thief comes not 
but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And he goes on to say that I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And even though he was rejected, he says, I'm going to live again. And after three days, he rose from the grave. So Jesus is not only was not only rejected and paid the consequences of being crucified, laying down his life, Philippians 2 again, that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, but he had power to take it up again, and he's a resurrected Christ, so he fills all the bill, doesn't he, of what the Scriptures indicate that Jesus was able to do. And think of the fact that he became all this for you and I. He did. He went through all of this. This rejection, the sufferings, and being classified as an outcast. Remember, at times they would say they would try to cast him out of their coasts. They didn't want anything to do with him. And Jesus did all this that we might be accepted by accepting Him as our Savior. So, when you think of the record in God's Word, how could anyone refuse the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? How could we refuse the, the sacrifice of Christ for our salvation? He became an outcast for us. How was He an outcast? He bore our sins in His own body on the tree, right? Not only was He outcast by men during His ministry, but... He was outcast in the sense that on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For it made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think of the fact that God made a trade with us and he gave us the best of the deal, didn't he? He made us righteous. And our righteousness only comes through the sacrifice of Christ. Look in chapter 3 of Romans. Romans chapter 3. I want you to see something here. It says here in verse uh, 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Christ unto all, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there's no difference. Now, he means there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. He said all that believe. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, through the redemption of Christ, He's going to declare us righteous. Now, look at verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, what is he saying here? That on the basis of Christ's blood sacrifice, his redemptive blood, verse 25 and verse 24, that he is going to, it says, being justified freely, he's going to declare us righteous and justified on the basis of what Jesus has done. 
And therefore, God is what? Just in making us righteous and declaring us to be justified, even though we've sinned, because Christ has paid the price. There's a great theological truth here, and I'm not trying to make you theologians, but I am trying to show you the basis of our justification. The basis is this, that God can justify us and be just in doing so because of what Jesus did. You see, if Jesus had not paid the price for our salvation, God would not be just in justifying us on what basis? There had to be a basis for that justification. And the basis is that Jesus shed His blood, and therefore God is just in justifying us and in declaring us righteous. And that's the theological point of view that you need to be able to digest. Let me put it in the negative in, an, in another way. Suppose... Christ had not died for our sins. There was no shed blood. And God would just look down upon us, having already said that the wages of sin is death and that sin deserves judgment. He would just look down upon us and say, I'm just going to forget all about it. What would be the basis of that? There would be no basis for it. Because God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. And so sin had to be punished. And so when sin was punished in the person of His only begotten Son, God is just in justifying us. But He wouldn't be otherwise. He wouldn't be just looking over our sin and saying, I'm going to forget all about it. See, sin had a penalty. And the penalty was the death of, of the only begotten Son of God. And no other price in heaven or earth could have paid that price for our salvation. An angel couldn't do it. No man could do it because all men were sinful. And Jesus is the only, He's the unique and one and only person that could have paid the supreme sacrifice for our salvation. And I believe because He has paid that supreme sacrifice that everyone who receives Christ as Savior is saved by His redemptive blood and justified in the sight of God and declared to be righteous in the sight of God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? I don't think you can get any better than that. So when God looks upon us, He looks upon us as righteous. He looks upon us as justified. Some have said that that's just as if I'd never sinned. That's a good way. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. And then righteous. And all on the basis of and if people fail to, to recognize the blood of Christ, all on the basis of the shed blood of Christ, we sang a song a little bit ago, some through the water, some through the flood. But he says, all through what? The blood. All through the blood. And every soul among us that has pled the shed blood of Christ for redemption and has come to Christ accepting His finished work and His Blood sacrifice is saved and saved through the blood. We, uh, as uh, Rich was singing the songs, I looked a little bit before that one he was singing. It says, Saved by the blood of the crucified one. All glory to the Father and glory to the Son. I believe something like that goes. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. And there's only going to be one class of people in heaven. Those are saved by blood. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission. And furthermore, if you'll think about it for a moment, the Bible says, as far as redemption is concerned, it connects the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation totally with it, time and time again. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom, listen, 
in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1 verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1 verse 18, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, past walk of life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by Him to believe in God that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory. Reason? That your faith and hope might be in God. So faith and hope in the redemptive blood of Christ. It says uh, in Hebrews 9, I believe it's verse 12, neither by the blood of bulls and goats, but by uh, goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, Having obtained, already done. Eternal. What kind of redemption you have? It's eternal. Some people say, well, I've been redeemed. And then they're afraid they're going to be lost. Well, what kind of redemption does Jesus buy for you? What kind did He do for you? It's eternal. If it's eternal, it's, it's forever. And so there's nothing can change that. And I know a lot of people have different ideas about what the value of the blood of Christ is, but it's the most valuable thing that could be, uh, price that could be given. And that's why uh, in he, in First uh, Peter 1, I quoted a little bit ago, beginning with verse 18, it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and white spot. I want you to think of that. And that's 18 on down, 19 and so on. But let me say this. The word precious there, though we use the word precious sometimes to speak of endearment, and it is. But, and Christ is endearing, but the word there means costly. It means the most costly price that could be paid. So all of the things that could be paid for our salvation would not measure up to one thing that had to be paid and the only thing that could really pay the price, and that was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's where we stand as Christians, as a child of God. We've seen uh, what could wash, what can wash away my sins? What is it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we need to have every one of us need to have a very deep soul conviction about that. And if you're depending upon any other thing, it's a false hope. It's a false hope. So. Let's encourage everyone. We'll pick up there where we left off in Zechariah. I don't even know what verse we were on, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll find it next time. In our Sunday evening lesson, and go right on through and finish studying verse by verse.